You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. Reading minds, knowing remote information without the senses, seeing the future. I have always thought extrasensory perception, ESP, to be important. Possibly. Even though I've always known ESP evidence to be weak, surely. Why important? Because if ESP truly occurs, that's a big if I know then our entire worldview would change. Conventional science would no longer monopolize knowledge. Existence would somehow be enlarged. But extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Can ESP reveal a new reality? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. I begin with trepidation. ESP elicits so much tabloid tripe, I fear embarrassment by association. But if I seek reality, then I cannot avoid ESP. I go to the San Francisco Hills, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, a center for ESP. I meet ESP researcher Marilyn Schlitz, now president of the Institute. Marilyn is convinced that ESP is real and it influences our lives. But how could ESP work, Marilyn? That's what bothers me. Marilyn, I'd like to assume that paranormal phenomena, ESP, is real. Now, I personally don't subscribe to that quite yet, but I want to know how could it work? Well, at this moment, there's no answer to that question. And what we're discovering is more and more about the quantum aspects of reality, that there is more about a correlation between parts, even separated at large distance. So when I think about psi research and I think about the kind of psi phenomena we're talking about, phenomena that imply that somehow, you know, our awareness can reach out beyond the brain and describe something in another location. Uh, so the question is, is that a brain activity, or does that imply that we are more than our physicality? It's possible that there's an interconnectedness between separated bodies of information. And so it may be that the data from psi research uh, suggests the non-local nature of our consciousness. So if you took something like a quantum paradigm, perhaps there's a way in which we're an entangled system. So we're not really disconnected, we're really connected. And that leads to a whole cascade of responses, including cognitive awareness, imagery. I, I see you brushing your teeth or combing your hair, you know. How is it that I got that level of information and resolution from something that is, you know, so far away? I think we're alive at a remarkable time in human history. You know, never before have so many worldviews, belief systems, ways of engaging reality come into contact. On the one hand, we have these enormous successes of Western science, based as it is in the material, physical dimensions of our experience. And on the other hand, we have a 
plethora of different models of reality, different truth systems, different ways of you know, acquiring information that don't at all adhere to the kind of physicalist model that Western science you know, dictates, demands, really. I think that what is necessary is a convergence of these truth systems in what I'm going to call a meta-ontology, the notion that as we're trying to make sense of all these competing theories and models, perhaps what's going to be necessary to be a, a robust citizen in the 21st century is a map that allows for paradox, that allows for conflicting sources of data, and that, in fact, we are the material physical aspects that can reduce our experience to the brain. And we are this notion of something greater, something vaster, some manifestation of God in, in its beauty and it, in its you know, complexity. Between to Marilyn, ESP is a gateway that enables entry into a new reality of interconnectedness. Diverse worldviews, she argues, can be complementary, not competitive. I guess I'd like her New Age vision to be reality. Sure, remysticize the world, privilege all face. But when ideas are so soft that they squish, I worry that feel good crowds out think clearly. So how to think clearly this interconnectedness? And again, how could ESP work? I go see ESP scientist Dean Radin, a careful researcher even though a biased believer. Dean is past president of the Parapsychological Association, and it's the big picture he tries to see. One of the elements which ESP challenges is the notion of isolation. It's the idea that, that objects are truly separate. I'm separate from you, my thoughts are separate from you. That's, we live in a basically a billiard ball world. Things work by clashing into each other. That's how daily life tells us what things work also. And yet, if you look at fundamental physics, which, whose job is to describe the nature of reality that we see, uh, what you find when you start drilling down into the depths of matter are weird stuff. You no longer find things that are separate. You actually no, no longer find matter. In fact, mostly what you end up with is empty space. So if you take seriously the idea that at a very deep level, everything is really only relational, if there are relationships between things, between things. And in addition, you have relationships which don't seem to depend on time or space. This is this quantum non-locality that people talk about. So if you take that seriously, then you ask the question, well, what is this fabric of reality actually made out of? It's made out of something which we can only regard as holistic. It is, it is not something that you can begin to, to piece apart because by definition, you, if something is non-local, there are lots of non-local connections, you can't take it apart. And so to start from that starting point, a holistic reality, we may not experience it in terms of our common sense. We need to go beyond our common sense, some other form of sense, namely ESP. In that world, a holistic fabric of reality, what would experience be like? So I would claim that, that psi or, or psychic experience essentially is the experience of the holistic fabric that we live in. For a long time, the idea was something like mental radio. There, there's signal transfer, there's some kind of causal mechanism, and so on. Not too surprisingly, because that was the leading edge of physics when it first came out, and people were looking for something to hang on. 
Well, now we're hanging on quantum mechanics. I don't think this is the final hang, by the way, but it's, it's pointing in the right direction, I think. Because now when, in the quantum world, in this holistic fabric, there, there are no signals anymore. There is no causation in the usual sense. Everything hangs together all the time. So how do we then recast ESP into that kind of fabric? Mm -hmm. Well, it means that telepathy involving two people no longer involves something signaling from me to get to you. There is no transfer of A to B. Rather, we're both floating along in the same pond. And so things that arise to me will simultaneously arise to you. Uh, why they arise in the context of an experiment is because we're specifically looking for it. But the implication of the experiments as correlations, no longer as signal transfer is, mm. that anytime I have a thought, my thought may be coming out of me, but it's more likely coming out of everything else. You know, we're all kind of moving like buoys. So we're all attuned into this underlying ripple of the pond that we're all uh, apprehending little tiny parts of it. Right. And we, but we also have our, our own sense of volition. Mm -hmm. So we can make the little ripples in our pond do what we wish, mm -hmm. but we're also in a pond that's created by a lot of other so ripples. It's a modulating effect on the, the overall frequency. Right. In a sense. And if you think of it in those terms, as a metaphor of something like a vibrating pond, you can see why most of the time you actually wouldn't notice it. So in some respect, to a small degree, I'm connected to the entire universe. And so are you. In fact, everyone is. Everything is. And uh, that doesn't mean that you need some special quality for consciousness, for conscious awareness as, as in a dualistic sense of something separate. What it does is it sort of extends our sense of sentience out to everything. So maybe this background consciousness that people talk about is in essence this gigantic quantum wave function which is the activity of all the brains of all sentient creatures everywhere in the universe. Dean sees a vast conscious connection between all sentient creatures and the entire universe. And it works through quantum theory. Personally, I'm queasy about grand invocations of quantum this and quantum that. Wrenching out of context what works for atomic particles to justify what makes no sense for the larger world. I'm biased against it, but to stretch to explain ESP, I'll give anything, including the quantum, a shot. I ask Fred Allen Wolf, a quantum evangelist of sorts. To Fred, the quantum world is the real world. Fred. In your work in quantum mechanics and, and in your thoughts, uh, how do you view these so-called extrasensory perceptions? Well, it seems that quantum mechanics itself is fundamentally extrasensorial. <laughs> so maybe I'm perceiving its extrasensoriness. I also have trouble with ESP, with the data, because it's so it's not as conclusive as, as I would like to see experimental data. Sure. It's such a difficult area because we're dealing with an area which is bordering into the subjective. We're dealing with the area of mind and it's very hard to objectify mind. That's the whole problem we have. That's why I think the whole materialist view towards mind is, is taking us on the in the wrong direction. And in some ways, the people doing ESP, I think, are going towards the materialist bent in order to satisfy what these guys want experimentally, and they're losing what 
could be found. What you're saying is that people who believe in ESP are, are trying to conform it to a materialistic world exactly. in some way exactly. by scientific repeatability, whatever, whatever they need to do to do that. Yes, and I, and I think, and I think they're, they're, they're in danger of, of, of not really letting the new field emerge. It's, it's not going to emerge in the objective materialistic realm because we're dealing now with a realm which is very commonplace in, let's say, in indigenous tribal regions, but is very unusual in Western culture. So uh, I think we need to learn from the realms where such behavior as extrasensory perception is considered normal rather than abnormal, and we can learn from that. For example, in Tibetan culture, they deal with uh, tokus and they deal with tolpas, which are images that are created in the mind such that when one person is concentrating on the image and another person comes into the room and sits and meditates, the same image appears in that person's mind, and then they can discuss afterwards, and they say, yes, I'm seeing what you're seeing. Now, come on. Uh, without any verbiage going on to indicate or any pointing or any kind of signaling going on? So M most scientists today would take all of that indigenous uh, uh, activity as, as folklore, as a, a group psychology, as illusion, delusion, some sorts of, of artificial things, not to, sure. not to make fun of the culture, but to understand that, that as science progresses, those things uh, uh, diminish and eventually wither away. But the point is they haven't diminished and they haven't withered away. The point is they've been with us for thousands of years. Uh, the thing that seems to be diminishing and withering away, if anything at all, is a materialist philosophy. I see that vanishing. Uh, I can't see anybody really seriously holding on to that much longer because quantum physics, relativity theory, string theory, brain theory, it's all pointing to an abstract world which cannot itself be found to be physical in the sense of what we mean by physicality. So you would look at all this ESP stuff as, as something that is only a, maybe a small part of a very much bigger exactly. picture. Exactly, a much and, bigger picture. And one picture that, that, as scientists, should be fun to investigate. Because it's not easy to investigate. Because we try to, we try to fit everything into the same peg hole. And if they don't fit, we say it's not worth considering. The most fundamental of this communication is not a mental mind communication. It's not a communication of verbiage or a communication of formulae. It's a communication of heart. It's a communication of sympathy. It's a communication of something which is deeply felt by all of us because we share a commonality of being human. Fred sees ESP as a normal part of his grand vision of reality, which he believes goes way beyond the physical world. He sees quantum physics as opening our eyes and communication of heart as being its essence. Sorry, Fred. Perhaps my eyelids have grown too heavy. But to me, those are woolly words bereft of tangible meaning. Nice sounds, no substance. But maybe Fred does see more than I do. Now, what about the religious notion that the reason ESP works is that souls or spirits are playing spooky games? 
I asked philosopher Michael Tooley, a skeptic. Michael, what do you think about the capacity of parapsychology, if it is real in any way, to elucidate a, an, an existence of a non-physical reality? The alternative is that uh, there might just be more things to speak in the physics of the future than are present in physics today. So, I mean, it could be, for example, that there's some physical mechanism that allows to speak telepathic communication between individuals, right? And so I don't think that uh, uh, on its own that uh, if you had an experimental demonstration of the reality of telepathy, right, that that would give you grounds for concluding, for example, that we are really immaterial minds or souls, or there was some sort of immaterial medium, right? Yeah, I agree on telepathy. Uh -huh. But when I get to something like clairvoyance, where uh -huh. people claim to see the future, once you get independent of time, you're really moving outside of, of uh, our understanding of current uh, of, of physics in the most contemporary sense. That's absolutely right. I mean, if you, uh, if you imagine, for example, that someone has the ability to see the future and so on, right? And one of the things that involves is that it looks like there must be backward causation ranging from that later event back into the mind of the medium, et cetera. Either backward causation or that time itself is, uh, exists in another realm and in another dimension and there's a spirit beings or God or whatever that can see it in a different way. Oh, right. Well, the thing is that um, have there been any well-designed experiments, so to speak, that have led to uh, the conclusion that there are these paranormal powers, telepathy, precognition, uh, psychokinetic powers, and so on, right? Uh, in the case of psychokinesis and uh, uh, precognition, I think there are no credible experiments at all. In the case of telepathy, some scientists claim that there are, others that there aren't. I'm inclined to be skeptical on it, right? Let me ask it this way, is that if you were convinced that a precognition experiment was real, i.e. knowing the future, right. what do you then say? Well, I think that uh, it's going to be very difficult to fit that into physics, even revised physics and so on. I think that it would, it would require uh, quite a radical revision in our conception of the world. But that, I think, of course, is a reason for thinking that it's not likely to occur. I'm, I'm, I'm forcing you to make yes. the presupposition that there is some kinds of precognition exper experiments that would be true. Would that force you to reconsider the possible existence of a world that is not part of our physical world? I don't want to say it would give us any reason to think there's anything outside of the natural world, okay? But it would require a revision in our conception of the natural world, I think. But you're just, just enlarging your definition of the natural world to include anything that's real. Well, I want, no, I want to include <laughs> anything. I mean, I mean the, I'm thinking of the spatial temporal realm, okay, right? But this is independent now of the spatial temporal realm. Well, it may be. I mean, look, it's like this. If you, if you imagine that people had immaterial minds, okay, uh, that would be something quite independent of the physical stuff, okay? Right. But it would still be located in the spatial temporal physical realm, okay, right? And so. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. It'd be up for grabs. But yeah. I think that the, the natural thing would just be to think that there are these additional forces or new entities, okay, right, which are present in the total spatial temporal realm and that causally connect up to the, the stuff of physics, basically. Even backwards, yeah. Yes. So you're really wedded to this spatiotemporal place being all there is. It's not that it's necessary that it's all there is. There could be other things and so on, but I just don't think there's any, any, any evidence for uh, intervention from without. No one's ever succeeded in, uh, in transmitting a message from beyond the grave so far. Hello? Hi, Mom. How you doing? 
My 94-year-old mother does not believe in an afterlife either. Because, as she puts it, Dad would have contacted me, maybe covering me up when I'm cold at night. Putting aside or rejecting life-after-death claims, I still ask, is parapsychology legitimate science? I put the question to neuroscientist Alan Leshner, CEO of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. From my point of view, today's non-observable world may well be tomorrow's observable world. I don't know the answer to parapsychology. I don't know whether, in fact, extrasensory perception is not a possibility. All I know is there's no evidence, no scientific evidence, either to document that it really does occur or the mechanisms that would underpin it. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible to be. All things are ultimately possible. The question is, will we be able to prove it? Will we be able to demonstrate it, measure it, observe it, and then ultimately be able to explain it? Many, many phenomena that are unexplainable yesterday are today's common sense. So I think science has an obligation to be open to any question that can be answered using scientific methods. The issue is, is that some would say that the nature of this phenomena doesn't quite lend itself to the reproducibility of the scientific method. Is that something that can be admitted within an enlarged science arena? I'm more ready to say something is not a scientific question. I think once you start to muck with what is and isn't science, then you are diminishing the ability of science to answer the questions it can and stay away from the questions that it can't answer. And I think we all, especially the scientific community, have an obligation to protect the integrity of the scientific enterprise, what is science and what isn't science, and stay within our limits. But most good scientists know what today's limits are, and they focus their energies sure. on today's sure. questions. Sure. Tomorrow's questions likely are going to be um, inconceivable to me today. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe that those questions will be answerable. Parapsychologists feel like they are not treated as real scientists. The scientific community has occasionally said that we should embrace this and study it, and then other times have said, you know, keep away. The issue has to do with methodology. The definition of what is and isn't science is the domain you're studying, you know, a natural explanation of the natural world, and whether you are using observable, measurable, reproducible techniques to get answers to askable questions. It's pretty straightforward and it's pretty simple. Test it out. Ask the question scientifically, subject it to peer review, then we'll talk about whether it's science or not. And the comeback from some people in the piece of parapsychology is that sometimes phenomena are not reproducible in the traditional way. Is that, is that a, a cop-out? Feels like a cop-out, <laughs> you know, reproducible in the traditional way. I, I don't actually know what that means in English, let alone in science. Well, I mean, it means that sometimes there are phenomena that occur that are real phenomena that cannot be reproduced on demand. Okay. 
So maybe it's not studyable scientifically, but don't cloak it in the mantle of science if it's not science or scientifically testable. Science is so powerful a phenomenon that we don't want to inadvertently or intentionally give things the appearance of science when they're not. In the same way that scientists have to be careful not to claim that they can answer questions they can't, the rest of the world can't claim that they are science when they're not. What to make of extrasensory perception? With anecdotal stories in abundance, but with scientific evidence in doubt, if ESP exists at all, its effects are very weak. Even so, if ESP is real, how could ESP work? Some extension of known physical laws like subtle electromagnetic radiation? I think not. ESP is too odd. Some deep interconnectedness through quantum theory? Unlikely. Though there may be vague hints, the gap between micro and macro seems too vast, and this quantum metaphor of the moment seems too cute. So, what explanations for ESP would remain? All would be extreme. Either radical extensions of the natural world in bizarre, unknown ways, or the actual existence of non-physical planes or realms. That's why skeptics rightly set hurdles high. But if ESP ever makes the leaps, new realities could be closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.